the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. This morning we're going to be concerned with verses 12 through 21. I did not realize when I decided to go through the greater part of the book of 2 Peter, prior to my going to Florida, I did not realize at that time that the Southern Baptist Convention in session in Houston this week would so directly address the same matter that the Apostle Peter addresses in this passage. But we did, and with good result, and as we proceed through the passage and touch the truth that Baptists have sounded forth again this week, we shall discuss a little bit about the Southern Baptist Convention. Now in the first verses of 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, Peter has issued us an urgent challenge that he says we must stand and we must hold forth the word of truth because on every hand the word of God is being watered down. Now in this passage, having told us about the basis of that challenge and the foundation of it, the Spirit of God dwelling within us, he comes to what is our urgent responsibility. The urgent responsibility that is ours in the face of the challenge of our day is to live by, teach, and preach always and only the Word of God as the answer to every question. He was not writing to ignorant believers at this time. Peter was writing to, if anything, a second generation of Christians. But he knew the value of repeating the truth because we so quickly forget and ignore and turn away from the truth that God reveals to us. It is greatly important in all that we do as the church of today to remind each other and to remind those to whom we teach and preach of the basic things of the truth of God. There are two problems that we touch most often at this point. One is that there are many who are Christians who really do not know the Word of God and who have developed some kind of a practical theology that falls far, far short of the revealed Word of God as He has given it to us. And then the worst problem is that at some points in our lives, all of us do not do what we know God wants us to do and what His Word reveals. Peter tells us what our responsibility is and then he explains the reason for that responsibility, which is the authority of God's Word. In 2 Peter 1, verses 12 through 15, here is a constant reminding. Listen to the words of Peter. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. And I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling or tabernacle or tent, to stir you up by way of reminding, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, 
as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure you may be able to call these things to mind. Here is a constant reminding. The words of Peter are very plain. He is writing to the church and he says to them, to this church in Babylon to whom he writes, he says to them, I'm telling you the old story. I'm telling you what you know. I'm telling you what you already have heard and what you are established in, but I need to tell you again and again and again, and as long as I have breath, I will continue to tell you. I believe that we live honestly in a day not that the kingdom of God rises or falls on because the work of God and the will of God and the eternal results and the kingdom of God are in the hands of God and His omnipotent power guarantees that. But the future of American Christianity is at stake. And in this day of retreat from biblical truth, I believe that Southern Baptists this week have taken a major step back toward the center of the will of God. For on Tuesday morning, Dr. Wayne DeHoney, pastor of the Walnut Street Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, a former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, stood and he addressed the delegates, the messengers, and he said to us, Mr. President, be it resolved that Southern Baptists reaffirm their commitment to the Bible as truth without any mixture of error. Rising behind him in clarification was Pastor Larry Lewis, the vice president of the Southern Baptist Pastors Conference. And Larry Lewis said, let the convention know that we as Southern Baptists are affirming our belief in the Bible as the infallible and inerrant Word of God. Behind him, Dr. Herschel Hobbs, retired pastor of the First Baptist Church of Oklahoma City, preacher on the Baptist Hour for 30 years, former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, rose, and Herschel Hobbs said, Brethren, let there be no mistake. As chairman of the committee that wrote our statement of faith in 1963, we believed then and we believe now that all the Bible is the Word of God. Old and New Testaments. And like Peter did, we are rising to say to our world that in a day of education, in a day of technology, in a day of pseudoscience, we believe that the Creator God still has the final word on everything. And beware before the words, oh, but that's Old Testament, fall from your lips. If that's the way you believe, you're a cult member. You're not a Baptist. The Bible, Old and New Testaments, is the infallible and inerrant word of God. We don't need to be original. We don't need to be different. We need to be scriptural. We need to be fresh. Yes, we do not need to be new. There is nothing new under the sun, a man called Solomon said in Holy Scripture. The Word of God must be both the center and the circumference of all that we do.
In verse 14, Peter says, I know that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. The word is translated often the word tabernacle. It means tent. And what Peter is saying is contrary to the way that we often think, this life is like a tent. It's a temporary dwelling. All you have to do to move a tent is just fold it up and move on. And Peter said, I live in the next world. I dwell in this tent and I may move on at any time. That will not affect my relationship to God. He says he knows that his departure, the word departure is the word exodus where we get the title to the second book of the Bible. It means the road out. And he says, I am living in a tent on the road out of this world and at the Father's command. I am ready to go. And in verse 15, Peter said, I will not only remind you as long as I live, but by writing down these words, I am guaranteeing that at any time after my exodus, you may be able to recall these things. Here is a constant reminding. And is it not a weakness of the modern church that we have for so long presumed that everybody knows the basic things that we have ceased to discuss the foundational truths of our faith and we have moved on to discuss so-called more important things with no point of reference and then we don't understand why liberalism abounds in the church. Then we don't understand why Christians can say with a clear conscience, I know what the Bible says, but God told me something else. Here is a constant reminding, and it is our position, it is our urgent responsibility to constantly remind of what God has said. Then in verses 16 through 18, here is concrete reinforcement. Now, I want you to follow me closely, if you will please, to these next few moments because what Peter says here is so powerful and so mind-bending, I do not want you to miss it if we could only grasp what he is saying. Here is concrete reinforcement. Peter says in verses 16 to 18, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Now what Peter is saying here is the matter of Christ coming again, the matter of him being Lord of lords and King of kings is not a matter of conjecture. But there was a day when Peter and James and John went with the Lord Jesus into a mountain and there he was transfigured before them and there appeared to them Moses and Elijah and there they saw him in his heavenly glory and the voice of God said, this is my son. Now that's powerful. Peter says, we are eyewitnesses. I saw it, he says, on the Mount 
of transfiguration. Peter says, I previewed the second coming. The Mount of Transfiguration recorded in Matthew chapter 17 and elsewhere in the Gospels was a preview of the second coming. For there Christ was glorified. There appeared Moses and Elijah. Moses died and was buried and he was a type on the Mount of Transfiguration of those saints which shall come with the Lord when he returns. Elijah was carried away to heaven alive on a whirlwind of fire. And Elijah is a type of we who will be alive and who remain unto the coming of the Lord and who at the sounding of his trumpet shall rise to meet him in the air. Peter said, I heard the voice. I know the truth. I was there. But now, and this is what I want you to remember, if that's not powerful enough, Peter says, I know the truth. I saw it. I was there. We now go on to deeper waters and Peter says, but there is a higher authority than an eyewitness account. Now can you imagine a court of law accepting a higher witness than an, eye level, an eyewitness account, a higher authority? Peter says, but there is a higher authority. Look closely at verses 19 through 21. And so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of private or of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Peter says, I was there I can tell you that Christ will come again because I saw it happen on the Mount of Transfiguration, but I do not want you to take my word for it because there is a higher authority than an eyewitness account. I might be wrong, but it will never be wrong. In verses 19 to 21, here is the confirming revelation. Literally, he says, we have a more sure word than experience. We have a more sure word than experience. The word is certain. It is objective reality. All experience, no matter how high and holy, is subjective as long as people are involved. Peter said, folks, there's a possibility that my senses might have deceived me in some way, but the Word of God will never deceive you. It is a confirming revelation. In verse 19, he compares it to a lamp in the darkness. One of the commentators I read said, only a fool would ignore the only source of light when he was in total darkness. 
Peter doesn't say there is more than one lamp. He said it is the only lamp in our darkness. And it doesn't matter what the rationale, what the tradition, what the source, if what we do doesn't proceed from the eternal book of God, it's of the darkness. John Calvin, have you ever, if you, just a casual reading of history will let you know that the greatest upheaval in modern history was the upheaval in society and the patterns of the world caused by the Protestant Reformation. Men like John Calvin... Melanchthon, our Baptist forefather Balthazar Hubmeyer, Ulrich Zwingli of Zurich, Switzerland, John Knox of England, of Scotland. And have you ever wondered how those men stood against every established government in the Holy Roman Empire and changed the face of history? Listen to what John Calvin said. One short paragraph from the pen of John Calvin wrote, written over 400 years ago in his commentary on the book of 2 Peter. John Calvin said this, Peter is reminding us that as long as we are on this pilgrimage through this world, we need the teaching of the Word to be a guiding light which... If it is quenched, we can do nothing but wander in darkness. Peter's only purpose is to show that the whole course of our life ought to be ruled by the Word of God because otherwise we are surrounded on every side by the darkness of ignorance and the Lord only gives us light when we look to His Word as our lamp. The Lord provides the remedy for our ills by lighting a torch to guide us in the midst of darkness. And that faith in the infallible and inerrant Word of God is the reason why John Calvin was able to change the world. Here is a confirming revelation. It is the only light in our darkness. Someday the sun will dawn Someday the darkness will pass and Christ will reign in uncreated glory from His temple and there'll be no need for the sun. But until that time on the dark side of creation in this wicked world in which we live, the only light we have is the Word of God. Whenever we are in the darkness, we need the light. And there is only one. What Peter is doing is protecting us from relying on experience. Peter says, my experience is valid. I was there. I'm an eyewitness, but my experience is not my authority. My authority is the Word of God. Our senses can deceive us, but the Word of God is truth with no mixture of error. The world is darkness and the only light is the Word of God. All Scripture has one author. All of it must be considered together. Or lest heresy rise from taking one small part of Scripture out of its context. Verses 20 and 21. Know this first of all that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Have you ever heard anybody say 
That's your interpretation. That's not mine. They have just said, not about you, but about themselves. I have a right to interpret it the way I choose. Peter says different. He says no scripture is of private interpretation. One of the rules of the Protestant Reformation which has changed the world and founded modern Christianity on the word of God and not on traditions of men is very simply this. It is that all scripture is of one primary interpretation though it may have many applications. And it's not a matter of interpretation when you deny what God has said and when it's in black and white in the Bible. It's a matter of rebellion against the sovereign God. No scripture is of any private interpretation for no scripture, no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Why is it that we would rather and I say we because it includes everybody I know. Why is it that in our flesh we would rather reject what the Word of God says than fall on our face before the Father and confess it and forsake it and be cleansed of it? You see, somehow we have the idea if we can just put together a consensus of opinion or if we can convince somebody, that changes it. Eternal truth doesn't have anything to do with what we do. You could get the whole world to agree on something and if God says it's not true, it's not true. No scripture is of human origination and nothing ever that originated in the mind of a man has anything to do with the will of God. For God said in Isaiah 55, My ways are not your ways, neither are my thoughts your thoughts. In verse 21, he says, Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The word moved, translated literally, is carried along. And the word in ancient Greek literature is used of a ship on the seas that was carried along by the prevailing wind. You know, the ships did not power themselves in that day. They were at the mercy of the elements, and as the wind filled their sails, they were moved along. And that's what Peter says about the inspiration of Scripture. He says, men who wrote the Bible did not speak from themselves, but as the wind of the Holy Spirit filled their sails, it carried them along to an appointed place of the Father's choosing. Here is our urgent responsibility that we live by, teach, and preach always in every case and with no exceptions. The Word of God is the only rule of faith and practice. Only the Word of God will meet human needs. Nothing we come up with and is an alternative ever will. Only the Word of God is blessed by the Spirit of God. And only the Word of God expresses the will of God. Never is there an exception to that rule. Peter says, I'm an eyewitness, but we have a word of authority that is more certain than my experience, and that word is the Bible, the Word of God. He said you do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp in the darkness until the day comes.
May it be so. May we pray. Heavenly Father, how we in our Protestant tradition of Christian heritage are often very proud of the fact that our forefathers rebelled against the traditions of man and went back 1,500 years to found their faith on the Word of God. And then, Lord, we come along and we try to institutionalize and deify tradition just like they did. Father, I thank you, sovereign Lord. I thank you that it was by the power of your hand that this week our denomination unified together to stand on the Bible as the infallible and inerrant Word of God. I pray, Father, that you will purify our hearts, that you will cleanse us of all sin, that you will remove from us all rebellion, that you will restore us individually and collectively to a place of favor and effectiveness in your work. Father, I thank you for mercy and grace. And I plead on behalf of these, your people, grace for their sins, grace for their needs, and an awareness on the part of every one of us that only as we submit to the Lordship of Christ can we find grace and mercy. And Father, do with us what you please to the eternal glory of your Son, Jesus. For I claim it in his name. Amen.